Hello, it's Zan. Miff and I are on a short bang break for summer. Believe me, it works. It makes sense. So we wanted to bring you some of our favourite potties from around the ABC. So much gold in them hills for you to check out from your hammock. I hope you enjoy and we'll see you in Jan, bang fam. Just a warning, this episode is about someone who killed two people. It's got strong language and I mean really, really, really strong language. If I tried to censor it, it would pretty much be one entire f*** beep. It also deals with homophobia, racism, and there are discussions of extreme violence. These chummy blokes I was drinking with found out they were homosexuals and one was, oh, I thought it was all a joke, the fucking cunt fucking hitting on to me. And I've just fucking exploded and fucking, um, I've stabbed the cunts in the guts a few times. And Did that man die? Eventually he died, yeah. Eventually he ended up fucking dying. I'm Sarah McBee. This is How Do You Sleep at Night? And this is Charlie. In 1994, he stabbed and killed two innocent gay men. He's been out of prison now for 11 years and I'm spending time with him to try to understand how he could kill someone. And now that he has, how he lives with himself. Would you say that you're reformed? Yeah, definitely, 110%. He's my son. I carried him for nine months. Also, what's it like to know you raised a killer? Oh, yeah, she won first prize in a baby contest. Yeah, no, what'd you do? <laughs> Dress me up as a fucking girl? Yeah, but hang on. Charlie's got longish grey hair jammed under a Liverpool cap, which he wears backwards. He looks like if Santa joined a neo-Nazi gang. I've got fucking shit tattooed all over me. Fucking some of it's even got my own urine mixed in with it, fucking, so that the ink would take. What does it say on your fingers? Oh, still the remaining part of a gang tat, sick boy. And then underneath it, to be a smart ass, I put unit, sick unit. And then on the other hand, it's SNFU. And that's either society's no fucking use, solicitors are no fucking use, system's no fucking use, screws are no fucking use. So. It's very versatile. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What other tats have you got? I've got my spider web on my head with a spider. means I've done a fuck of a long time in jail and my sentence never ends. So what do the tears mean? Two tears below your eye? Two deaths, let's say, victims. My me, me best one's Charles Manson on the back of my head. Charlie's real name is Robert, but only his mum calls him that. He gave himself the nickname Charlie after Charles Manson. Why did you get Charles Manson tattooed on your I head? Like, I, I, I like Charlie. I always felt sorry for him. He's just someone else who got fucked over by the system. Because I'm not into religion. He basically, he was his own god. And I like that, you know. He was basically sticking religion up people's asses. And he used to be an acid freak. And when I was growing up, fuck, I was an acid freak. So we're walking up. What street's this? St Paul's Terrace. We're walking up St Paul's Terrace in Spring Hill. Yeah, and? Is this where you were the night that you killed these people? Oh, up here was initially when all my problems started. Yes, at a specific pub called the Alliance Hotel. It was warm the night it happened. 
Charlie was wearing a light jacket and his favourite white power T-shirt. His plan was to come downstairs here and meet up with a guy who was going to testify against a gang brother of his. It used to be called backstage where all the skins and punks used to go fucking years ago. Oh yeah, cool, cool, I've got you, cunt. You were looking for this guy? I met him that day. I knew that he was telling and I was going to silence him. So we're walking downstairs from the Alliance down into the bar underground. Is it bringing back memories, Charlie? Oh, this bar's manually fucking changed. It just looks nothing like it was. Nothing. The only reason why I can say where, um, where I was is because of that fucking pillar. <laughs> that was there. That hasn't changed because that's always been there. And the toilet. Basically, when I fucking went to the bar after a few, waiting for this cunt to turn up, there was a transvestite beside me. I fucking said, well, what the fuck are you doing here? And the barman fucking said, well, don't you know where you are? Huh? And he explained it was the opening of a gay bar. Oh, ah, fucking then automatically, like, I uh, exploded and said, get the fuck out of my bar, you fucking poofters, rah, 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 because I still thought it was backstage and then I went back and these chummy blokes I was drinking with found out they were homosexuals and one was I thought it was all a joke the fucking cunt fucking hitting on to me and I've just fucking exploded and fucking um, I've stabbed the cunts in the guts a few times and he's taken off and the crowd's dispersed and um, stayed there until I finished my beer. There was a VB and I hated it, but I drank it. I refused to fucking leave. And as soon as I finished my beer, didn't cause any trouble or anything, I just walked out. I've chosen not to name the victim out of respect for his family, but he didn't die that night he was able to give evidence about what happened. In court, he said he'd asked Charlie if he was gay and Charlie had said he was bisexual and that he liked it both ways. The man also said that Charlie had asked him for sex, but he'd refused, and that Charlie had got upset and abusive. When he gave that evidence in court, Charlie was furious. Even though the stab wounds weren't immediately fatal, they led to serious complications. Did that man die? Eventually he died, yeah. Eventually he ended up fucking dying. On the 1st of August 1996, Charlie was given an indefinite sentence, never to be released. In court, he jeered at the families of the victims and swore at the judge. But on appeal, his conviction was quashed and substituted for manslaughter. It wasn't until years later that Charlie came undone for a second stabbing on that same night. In the same night, I um, stabbed another, because I was filthy, oh, I was fucked. I stabbed another fucking bloke. That was sheer stupidity. I was just in a fucking rage. And I thought, oh, well, fuck, I'm fucked now. You're another fucking, you know, back in the old Nazi fucking shit days, you're another fucking gay cunt when I fucking did you take you out of society. And I did. Do you know those men's names? Yeah, I do. 
I can't remember them. They'll be on the paperwork. I don't fucking know. Two men's lives ended because of Charlie's rage. And I want you to know, we tried really hard to find those men's families. We wanted to let them know this story was coming and also give them a chance to tell us how much Charlie has hurt them. We tried Queensland Police, victim support groups and rang dozens of people in the phone book. We couldn't find them. In the end, all up, out of totally, just life consecutive, just 13-year bottle. Nothing. Life for? Well, two manslaughters in the end. In the end, after it all went through. There was no intent. Yeah. Have you ever been face-to-face with the people who lost their brother or son or friend? I've seen them in court. I fucked them off. Pardon? I've seen them in court. In the end, for sentencing, there was a few of them there. I told them to fuck off. But I told fucking the judge to go fuck himself too, so didn't matter who the fuck was there. I was just dirty because I knew they'd beaten me. That's what I was fucking filthy about. It's wild to me that you don't seem to feel sorry that you killed two people. Well, I feel sorry. It happened. You can't take it back. Do you think about their families sometimes? No, I don't. And I can honestly say, fucking anyone, all my mates are fucking lifers and violent criminals or anything, they don't know whether. I know it's wrong, but it's just, yeah, you can't take back anything, they're gone. I know that you have extinguish someone's life and you get to live on but as I say it's shit that happened. The night it happened Charlie was on the run from the psych hospital. His court documents say that just months before he killed these men he'd been admitted to the psychiatric ward at the Royal Brisbane Hospital and that while he was there he laughed when he talked about killing someone. Psychiatric reports detail a lifelong antisocial personality disorder aggravated by drugs, head trauma causing a range of personality disorders, and chronic alcoholism. Were you under the influence I was of anything? Under the influence of alcohol, and I had. When you killed those people? Yeah, and I was on psych drugs that were just administered to me. Yeah, I'd only been on it for two weeks. Do you think that that's why you did it? Could have been, could have been. It makes you fucking become something that you don't give a fuck about, as in, you don't give a fuck what you do. And I can't fucking blame the medication, I blame me fucking hatred. I can't blame it, I don't know what happened, I did. So I have to accept facts. Where did that hatred come from? Well, the transit centre at Roma Street, waiting to get my little old midget terrorist mother off the train, or she is, from um, Bundaberg after visiting family up there. And pray tell, if it's Queensland Rail, it's gonna be fucking late. I can fucking... So Charlie's mum is just getting off the train now. She's a tiny little old lady. Got your card? Yeah, I just found it. Oh, I'm puffed. Yep. Here's my card. Thank you. What area do you live in, driver? I live near Ipswich. Jesus. Where? Ipswich. Ipswich? Yeah. Oh, right, up there. 
There's a young couple on the train. They, they have to get a train now up to Ipswich. So you made some friends on the train? Mama makes friends everywhere. It's because how long did you do Avon for, Mum? About 30 years. Yeah, there you go. Avon yeah, lady but, extraordinaire. Mum will talk to anybody. Well, I will. Why not? I can't sit there and not talk to somebody. Yeah, yeah just go left here. Just, yeah. Yeah, yeah just, there. yeah. Yeah, you can walk across the road. Yeah, I can walk across you the road. Do you need a hand getting out? Yeah, Robbie's got me. What a sweet house. Don't you take it notice of all this, the way our house is. Oh, yeah, they're termites. Yeah. Do you mind if I ask you what Robert was yeah. like as a little boy? Nice little boy. He's eight pound born. Tell her what you did to me, Dad said, for a baby contest. Oh, yeah, she won first prize in the baby contest. Yeah, no, what'd you do? <laughs> Dress me up as a fucking girl? Yeah, hang on. Yeah. They didn't take any notice of the dress. He won the day with his skin, his eyes, his, uh, he was breastfed, and that gave me more points. Um, How old was he? About five months old. And he was beautiful, was he? Well, they're all, all nice. What was he like as a school-age boy? Well, in what way? His personality, how would you describe him? Just a not an ordinary child. Because the school's only up in the next street. But, um, was he naughty? Oh, no more than anybody else, yeah. Who's this one? That's Robbie. He's wearing a little pale blue romper and he's got little pale blue socks and dark brown blue. leather shoes. Who? You. Yeah. There's a newspaper clipping. It's all yellow and it's from... There's some handwriting on it that says it's from 1991. Gang hits three men. A savage attack by a gang of armed men on three people in Woodridge home left police baffled for a motive yesterday. So this is when you were bashed. That was when we were running off, yeah. Charlie's place was a well-known neo-Nazi hangout and there'd been ongoing grief between his gang, the Sick Boys, and a group of Aboriginal guys. Um, I opened the door, copped the back of an axe in the side of the head and fell, of course, instantly knocked out and fucked. Those rotten sods that came into the house and hit him first, then they went through and they broke every window in the house, broke all their TVs and ghetto blasters and broke Artie's fish tank. There was water all over the car. We had two axolotls, Mexican walking fish. One was black, one was white. They smashed the tank, killed the white one, and picked the black one up and put in a fucking tub of water to keep it alive. Yeah, the cops rang us top us one in the morning on the 4th, I think, of September, 1991. Oh. They rang us. Don wasn't going to answer the phone. Oh, oh that'll be Teresa. Hello. Don answered the phone. He wasn't going to because we thought, oh, here's Robert again wanting to get, get a ride home, you know. But he answered it and... And the cops said, do you have a son living at so-and-so Kingston, I think it was? And we said, yes. And they said, well, get over to the PA hospital as quick as you can. I was certainly dead for four and a half minutes. So you might as well say that I died for my white power beliefs. 
probably weird, but you know, you you know, you can jokingly say, Well yeah, I can I died from my beliefs. It was it was touch and go. He was in intensive care. His eyelids were plastered down with tape, you know. But I at the time thought if he was gonna be no good, he'd be better off gone. You know what I mean? Well, he had, has had loss of memory and everything. And he's never been any good since, really, with as far as his head goes. When Charlie was done for manslaughter years later, the psychiatrists took into account the brain damage that happened as a result of this belting. Can you remember when he first went away? I really don't want to remember all that now. Did you tell people where he'd gone? Uh, at first, no, because I was... Well, I suppose ashamed, but not ashamed. Um, he's my son. I never missed a week, did I? Yeah, until I knocked the visits on the head. Eh? Until I stopped wanting you visiting me. Yeah, well, that was your mm. choice, not mine. What impact did it have on you every time Charlie went in and out? We just had, well, we just had to accept it. I didn't like talking about it to other people. I tried to hide it. I mean, we went to the court cases every day. I didn't like that either, but we went because it was Robert. Unconditional love. Well, he was my baby too. <laughs> I carried him for nine months. You had a child? Not yet. Not yet. Well, you're no, not. too much trouble. <laughs> what do you think are his best qualities? Well, he does help. And now that I'm on my own, he's my only helper. But you can be naughty, can't you, Robert? Yes, Mark. You can tell me you swear at me and... Thank you again. OK, all right, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Bye. We will. Does she not there's, know everything? There's every... two things, there's two things, right, that yes. fucking she will not fucking talk about, right? Mum used to be the organist for the fucking church every fucking weekend. It is a fucking mortal sin to kill people. And she will fucking not say that I've fucking killed anybody. She only fucking goes off the fucking first charge that I got done for was GBH. Mum won't talk about a lot of things and won't admit a lot of things. And it's like she, because she doesn't like fucking saying anything. Like, I was, obviously I was born, I first saw a psych when I was in grade one. I was born psychologically fucked. When I went to court, they couldn't fuck, I was a fucking psychopath, but my psycho psychopathic ways, they couldn't say I was, if I was born that way or whether I developed it after my head injury. I got locked up um, for uncontrollability to start with, and it just progressed on from there. How old were you? I was 13. And she will not um, uh, talk about it. Because I, I don't know whether she fucking feels bad or fucking whatever. But even though she's fucking four foot nothing, she used to be brutal when I fucking grew up. Did your mum send you to a boys' home? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she couldn't control me. She was ashamed. It was all to do fucking mixed up with the church and shit. And I... Yeah, got sent the boys home. She thought you would. Uh, it was a shameful that you were. Go, go, go. Go. Try and snap me out of it. 
Were you angry at her for sending you away? Oh, I, I fucking hated her. That's I hated her guts for years. I I still don't get over it. And I talk to the fucking the psych about and everything. I'll help mum now, right? And it's sad, but it's true. I don't help mum now for her. I she's an old lady. Bad luck, live the life. I help her out now because the longer fucking she lives, the longer she's gonna fucking piss off my brothers and sisters. I don't believe that that's the only reason. Yeah, basically, yeah. I, honestly, I hate my mum's guts. When you lock someone up, I, I never forgot it and I never will. But why do you go and look after her if you really don't love her? I mentally don't hate her, but I mentally don't love her. Like, whenever, whenever she says, I love you, Robbie, and I, all I say is, yeah, whatever. That's it. I'll never say I love you. I don't love her. I just never have, never will. I know that's sad, but that's true. Do you love anyone? Not really. You hear the word love fucking get thrown around so much these days. What is love? I don't love anybody. I like people, but love, I don't know how you can get mixed up with someone that much that you've got to focus everything on them. Love doesn't last. Friendships do. I'm walking towards Charlie's apartment, I can see him out on the deck looking out for me. This flag. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, you don't want to know. Tell me. No, uh, white pride worldwide. What have you got a white pride flag for? Because it's black. Because <laughs> it covers it up. Some things I never lose. Jesus. So it's a little studio apartment. It's got your little kitchenette, your bed, your big tin of international roast. Can you describe to me what some of the paraphernalia around your place is? Oh, I'm a Liverpool fucking supporter through and through. So I've got Liverpool shit everywhere. In the next couple of weeks, I'm getting YNWA tattooed down the side of my face. I mean, that's their motto, you'll never walk alone. What else? Um, lots of skulls, lots oh, and lots of skulls. I love me skulls. Love me skulls and I got a community award for, from 4 Triple Z. For locked, locked in? in. Yeah. I'm proud of that. And how long have you lived here? Ten and a half years. It's sort of like jail. Everything's small. I still love it. Everything's small. And the place, there's cameras everywhere. So it reminded me of jail. So I sort of like fucking fitted in, in a sense. If I, can, I, walk, I walk out on my veranda, I'm on the camera. I walk out my front door on the railing, I'm, I'm, I'm on camera. So. How do you know? Hey? How do you know? I know where the cameras are. <laughs> so that's one good thing. I reckon I know where all the cameras are around here and reckon, especially when I fucking go out into society, I'm always looking around for cameras. Just a bad habit that'll never go away. So on your bed you've got a little blue, old school blue suitcase with some photos in it, I think. Yeah, see some photos and we can go through them later. Can we have a look? Oh, you good. Lots of naked photos. Bit of pottery work. That was a mouse pad for somebody. I didn't do anything for anyone. And I used to love putting together the big um, jigsaw puzzles. <laughs> and then paint borders around them. Ex-girlfriend? Yeah, see, there's a whole bunch of fucking Nazis fucking 
Jesus. And she's one of them fucking. So she's got that classic This Is England haircut with the fringe and the shaved back and she's doing a Hitler salute. Yeah. Yep. She was your girlfriend. She was. She was my girlfriend. I was going to marry her. But when I was in jail, she'd done the dirty on me. It's pretty confronting looking at these photos of people doing the Nazi salute. When you joined the Sick Boys, was that the first time you felt like you really belonged somewhere? Mm. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Because um, it was nutters. They were nutters. And I thought, yeah, but yeah, I belong. And it just went off from there. What did it mean to be a sick boy? That you didn't give a fuck what you did and no one judged you and a lot of people hated you. So, yep, cool, fit in. Why did it feel good to be hated? Because you, you felt noticed. So why did you start doing break and enters? Gang shit, something you do. You're a soldier. And if you're a soldier, you just want to help out and you do what you're told from the powers that be. Can you tell me about what sorts of things you used to break and enter for? What things would you steal? Um, well, never, you never broke into people's homes. You don't do that. People's homes is it technically is their castle. You don't know fucking whether they're rich people or hard-working people or blah, blah, blah. You just don't touch people's property. You just to break into um, supermarkets and shit like that. I don't know, you fucking steal anything you can fucking get your hands on that you can sell. It is 25 past seven. This is locked in on 4ZZZ. Charlie's got a stack of emails to get through, so over to Charlie again. All right, uh, this is from Ninja Meek. Damn, Ghoulie, just to give you a shout-out, talk to you later on in the week. Big shout-out to my beautiful niece, Henny Pens. We're at 4ZZZ-FM. It's the community radio station in Brisbane where Charlie has a show for prisoners. He spends all week collecting letters from inmates all over Queensland and their families. He plays the songs they dedicate to each other and reads their messages. They're all to be done. They've been done. So that's fucking... Yeah, a few weeks. We're all different inmates. So this is a whole drawer full of letters yeah, from inmates? Yeah, that's, that's one person specifically. He spends all his time doing this. This is his life now. Would you say that you're reformed? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely. 110%. What does that mean to you? Good. Stop people making, well, I try and stop people making stupid mistakes like I did. And 50% of the time it works. So, if I save one person, I've done my job. I save a lot more than one person, so I'm doing good. What do you see as your role in the criminal or prison community in Queensland? Because... I'm used now as a person that can make it. Um, I prove to people that it is possible. And yeah, I'm a bit of a role model to a lot of inmates. Do you like yourself? I'm me. I don't love myself, I don't like myself, I'm just me. I still get a kick out of 
helping people out. Legally these days, not illegal. And I feel good about myself if we have a win. And I feel good about myself when people thank me for me helping them out. So yeah, I do. I do, in a sense, like myself now is because I know that I'm helping people out and I'm beating the system in a little way, legally. How do you beat the system? As I do the radio show, I help getting people's messages across that might be thwarted by the system. Write it to the radio and Charlie will have it read out on the air and you just can fucking hear. So yeah, yeah, I beat the system. Charlie says that after decades, the medication he's on is finally right for him and it's made a huge difference to his life. I'm learning to have empathy these days, but I really, what will be, will be. How long was it before you renounced your white power, homophobic, white supremacy views? Eight years after I went inside, I suppose. About eight years. It's hard to explain. Basically, I just woke up and said, ah, fuck it. Walk out into the unit and then you've got Asians there and, hang on, but you were doing things with him yesterday and... And you got blacks there, and you know you were doing things with him yesterday, and then you got whites there, and you're doing things. Technically, we're all the same. When did you stop hating gay people? Inside, fucking. What really changed my views is a couple of young boys that are lifers. One's out now, one's still in. They killed gays as well, but then. I don't know, due to jail or maybe their fucking sexual orientation to start with and they hid it for so long, they turned out to be gay. And I befriended them before they were gay. Well, before they come out, you might as well say. So they didn't change fucking after they come out. And like and inside, there's like a lot of staunch fucking, you know, and that helped too. A lot of staunch motherfucking gays. You just wake up and fucking, why do you fucking hate people other being gay? Tell me where we are, Charlie. Where are we? Uh, Beat. Nightclub in Brisbane. Technically, it's for LGBT people and nutters like me. How long have you been coming here? Me? I've been coming, fucking hell, five years now, I suppose. And what do you like about it? Here? Everyone gets accepted. That's what I like about it. And it's one of the safest fucking bars in Queensland. Now, Carlos, when he scrubs up, and when he wants to get off his fucking lazy bum, right, when he scrubs up, he's a gorgeous, he looked, yeah, you wouldn't know, he's he's a hot, uh, he, he, he turned out to be a hot looking motherfucker. He always compliments me, he's a sweetheart. When I first spent time with Charlie, I wanted to know how he lives with himself and what made him do the things he did. It seems like there was one bad decision after another made for him and then one bad decision after another made by him. Charlie doesn't dwell and he doesn't say sorry. He says it won't change what happened. What he does do is try to make better decisions and he's lost that hate he used to carry. It's never going to be enough for the people who lost their loved ones. Nothing ever could be. 
On the next episode of How Do You Sleep at Night, an anti-coal activist who manipulated the stock market and wiped more than $300 million off the value of a mining company. My intention in putting out the fake press release was to reveal a truth, not to conceal one. Does he regret it? Find out next time. You can binge all six episodes right now on the new ABC Listen app, or you can hear one a week on iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts.